Church. If you're joining us in the cafe this morning, we love you guys. Welcome to you. Everybody take your Bibles and open to Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy right there in the first, first part of the Old Testament. It is graduation season. Uh, it's an exciting time. I've been uh, watching the high school seniors uh, count down the days. It's the coolest time in the world. Uh, the problem is nobody ever told me as a parent how hard that was going to be. Uh, nobody ever told me how hard it was to send a kid to college. Uh, I, I don't know exactly wh- what you guys were doing, why you didn't fill me in on, on that. Uh, I just remember how difficult that was. I really want to make sure as a church we take good care of families and parents. So I want to take a moment today and just uh, uh, speak a word to parents. Uh, how many of you know this book right here, Good Night Moon? Anybody ever read this to your kids or had it read to you? Yeah, you know how it ends because you always fall asleep somewhere in the middle uh, around the bowl full of mush. Good Night Moon is a book written by Margaret Wise Brown. It's actually a pretty phenomenal little bitty book. It may be the first book that you read to your kids because it's just so simple. Uh, but y'all, the thing is that the secret to parenting is right in this book. Y'all know this, right? I mean, you were paying attention, I assume. In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of... Yeah, the cow jumping over the moon. There were three little bears sitting in chairs. The book goes around. There's a little bunny going to bed, right? It's a little bunny going to bed. And the book starts out by naming everything in his room, the great green room. So everything is named first. Two little kittens and a pair of mittens, a little toy house and a young mouse, and a comb and a brush and a bowl full of mush and a quiet old lady. Okay, that's a little creepy. There's an old lady, you know, just random old lady. A quiet old lady who was whispering, hush, yeah. And then from there on, the little bunny starts saying good night to everything in the room. So he kind of goes around the room and says good night to everything. Good night, room. Good night, moon. Good night, cow jumping over the moon. Good night, light in the red balloon. Good night, bears. Good night, chairs. Good night, kittens. Good night, mittens. Goes all the way through everything in the room. But here's the thing good night, clocks. Good night, socks. Good night, little house. Good night, mouse. Good night, comb. Good night, brush. Good night, nobody. Good night, mush. Good night to the old lady whispering hush, okay? That's where the book should end, right? Because the old lady's the last thing in the room, right? The book should end there, but it doesn't. You ever notice that? It goes on. Good night, stars. What? Good night, air. Where are we now, y'all? Where are we now? We're not in the little green room anymore. We left the room. Good night noises everywhere. So the book begins where? In the great green room. And then we end everywhere. Yeah. So what's that tell you? She was always telling you what? That little bunny's leaving you. Your little bunny's leaving you. You're thinking that your little bunny is going to stay in that great green room with you forever? And that's what you're thinking? But that is not life. That is not what happens. That little bunny is going to say goodnight to you and everything else. And out the window he goes. You understand? Your little bunny is leaving you. Nobody tells you that. Nobody tells you that. And if they do, you can't understand that. You don't absorb that. But they're leaving you. You don't necessarily know exactly when your last night in the great green room will be. But I promise you it comes. Your little bunny leaves you. So that means you only have so much time in the great green room with the comb and the brush and the bowl full of mush. You only have so much time 
So in that time, you better do your job. You have a job to do, and you only have a little bit of time to do it. So let's just go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and remind one another what the job is as parents. What is it that you must accomplish in that little bit of time you have with your little bunny? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. What is the parent's job? How do you know if you're getting it right? Deuteronomy chapter 6. A lot of things has changed since I was a kid. A lot of things have changed now since I was a parent of a little one. But some things never change. Deuteronomy chapter 6 reminds us what your job is. You ready? Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. You and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I'll stop there. You, your children, and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. Okay. I don't, I don't think there's really a mystery here. What is the parent's job? You tell me. Well, what is the job of parents? It, it says it right there. What is it? Actually, it, it really starts in some ways before you're a parent, or, or it starts before you bring your kids into the picture here. The, the first responsibility is, is spelled out very, very simply. You, verse 5, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. You. The word there is you. You must love the Lord your God. You. I know that that right now you're maybe hoping for, you know, three practical points for how to raise kids, how to get kids to eat asparagus, whatever. But I'm telling you, your first job is right here. You. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. That is your first job. Everything else flows out of that. You. You. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all, all your strength, all, 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 all your mind. Understand, it starts with you. Parent, it starts with you. It starts with you, your heart. Your heart, your whole heart must be given over in love to God. You must love the Lord your God. Now, I understand there are lots and lots of things that compete for your attention and your affection. I understand that. I know that life is busy. Life is hectic. You were thinking that your job as a parent was sort of to keep up with all of that. Just to sort of get in the van and make sure that everybody gets to where everybody needs to go on a given day. And if you just manage to meet the schedule, and if everybody gets there, and if everybody, you know, gets a meal and nobody's bleeding or bone sticking out at the end of the day, you figure you did a good job. But but, but I'm telling you, your job is is more inward than that. It starts here. You must love the Lord your God with everything you've got. You have to love the Lord. It starts there. 
You must love the Lord. Now, notice we didn't say you must love your children. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't start with loving your children. It doesn't say you must work and make a lot of money. It does not say that. It starts here. You must love the Lord your God. You must love Him with your whole heart. Now, I've debated this with Matt Betts back and forth because Matt has this thing. He, he's from Mississippi and he loves pie. Only in Mississippi it's called pie. So Matt Betts says, it's like this. If you got a pie, if you give that whole pie to one person, how much pie you got left for somebody else? I'll go, Matt, none. I mean, if you give the whole pie away, you got nothing. He says, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Sounds like Matt just wants to eat the whole pie himself. I get it. You, you know, I, I, I know him. But no, he's saying something that's actually very profound here in this scripture and something that we need to understand. We need to understand how love works. You must love the Lord your God with your whole heart. In other words, all of your love is directed toward God. You give your whole heart, you give the whole pie to God. And that means there's nothing left. Nothing left. You don't have anything left to give your job. You don't have anything left to give to your fur babies. You don't have anything left to give your chickens, your children. You love the Lord your God. Now, the principle is simple. You love your children best when you love God most. God gets first place in your heart. God gets your whole heart. So Matt Betts' question comes back. If you give your whole heart to God, what is there left to give anybody else? If you give all of your love to God, then what love is left for your spouse, for your children, for the rest of the world? Where does the love come from if all of my love is going to God? It's interesting, isn't it? If I love God with my whole heart, then where does the love come from for everybody else? Well, if I love God first, and if I love God completely, I give all of my love to God, then guess what happens? Those of you who love God, I think you understand how it works. There's this whole new capacity that opens up inside of you for love. But it's not your love. It's not the love that comes from you. See, that's the secret. The love that comes from me, it's not very true love. I mean, the love that comes from me is love. I mean, I love people. I love you all. I love my wife. I love my son. I love my parents. But, but the love that comes from me is, is always kind of distorted. It's always kind of polluted. It's mixed up with selfishness. It's really hard to love your children without also having some selfishness thrown in there. I want my son to do well, but a lot of that has to do with how that reflects on me. You sort of feel like your kids are like your report card walking around. And if he's out there walking around with his pants unzipped, you know, and his hat on backwards and, you know, all, all this, you know, out there, you know, if he's a thug out there, I feel like that reflects on me. You, you understand? And so sometimes our love for our children, even our love for our spouse, it's, it's sort of all mixed up with our own selfishness and our own need. So I can love people, but I can never love people perfectly. I never love people with a pure love from a pure heart. I don't have a pure heart. But if I give all of my love to God, if I just give God my heart, then God does something amazing with my heart. Then God turns back around and God loves through me. If I love God first, then the love I have for other people is actually God's loving through me. And that's a very different kind of love. It's a very different kind of life when it is God who loves through you. I don't have a lot of patience. 
I don't have a lot of selflessness. I tend to think about myself first. But when God takes over my heart, there's a different kind of love he puts there. And I have a whole different capacity for loving everybody else, including my children. So understand, this is not a small matter. This is just not something we would say in church. This is the truest thing I know how to tell you. And this would absolutely revolutionize your family's life. If you, Dad... If, if you, sir, would just simply love God first, love God most, you just love God, sir, and if you would just love God with your whole heart, you would have a totally different kind of love for your wife. And, and mom, if you would just love God most, if you would love God first, you would find a wholly different capacity for loving your children and your husband. This is the secret. This is the key. You have to love the Lord your God. You have to love him with all your heart. You love God most, and you'll find that that's when you'll start to love your children best. Make sense? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Okay, so once your heart is in place, once you've given your whole heart, all of your attention, all of your affection to God, then you're ready now to approach your children. Now you're ready for parenting. Now, what is your responsibility in relation to your children? Well, even that is is still pretty simple. As a parent, your job is to love Christ fully and depend upon him solely. You find everything that you need in Christ. He satisfies you. Understand, parent, you have to find everything that you need in Christ. You do that first. He will satisfy you. I say that because so many people end up having children, but they have children in order somehow to complete them. People have children thinking that that's going to help the marriage. Like a child is going to add to what is missing between the man and the wife. You understand this? Uh, horribly, horribly, this logic operates. People think that somehow I'll have a child and my child will complete me. My child will tell me who I am. That's all the kind of garbage we hear in movies. Okay, that's absurd. That's absurd. If you don't know who you are, this baby born isn't going to have any idea who you are either. And he can't tell you who you are. That's absurd. That's crazy. Remember last week we were talking to women and I said that if you're an empty woman hoping a man will fill you up, that, that you're in for a world of hurt because the only kind of man that an empty woman attracts is an empty man. And so if you're an empty parent and you have children hoping that the children will fill you up, oh my goodness, you're going to be an empty person and you're going to raise what kind of kids? Empty kids. Empty parents will raise empty kids. It does not work that you're going to have children who will satisfy your needs, fill you up. You get your needs satisfied from the Lord, and then you're ready to parent. Then you're ready, because then you can be a parent. You don't have this child who is like your only friend in the world. And so your child is actually your best friend. Listen, there's a world of people out there who can be your child's best friend. They don't need you to be their best friend. They need you to be a mother. They need you to be best friend. They need you to be a dad. Anybody else in the whole world could be your child's friend. You're the only dad she's got. The only mama she's got. So you can't step into parenting out of your own need. 
Oh my goodness, that, that is setting your family up for a disaster. You must learn to love Christ fully and depend upon him solely. Christ is your source. He is your strength. Christ will tell you who you are. You get all of that taken care of. And then your job is to teach your children to do the same. Now, if you don't love Christ fully, you can't teach your children to love him fully. Matter of fact, I would say if, if Christ is of sort of minimal importance to you, he will be of zero importance to your kids. You have to love him completely, fully, solely, and then teach your children to love him and depend on him too. Understand, your children are going to love him and depend on him too. This is your job as a parent, not to teach children to depend on you. I just want my kid to always know that I'm there. I'm always there for you, son. I'm always there. Well, here's the thing. You're not always going to be there. And even when you are, sometimes you can't help. You're just human. Your child needs the Lord more than anything else. And most of all, your child needs the Lord. And they need to know that the Lord is always there with them. And that the Lord will never leave them, never forsake them, never, ever let them down. Your job is a parent. It's to teach your children to love and trust and depend upon the Lord. That's hard for us. Because we just love those little boogers, don't we? And we want them to love us. And we want them to depend upon us. And we want them to stay with us. But that is not why we have them. That's not the parent's job. It's not to teach your children to love and depend upon you. Your job as a parent is to transfer all of their love away from you and to God. Because you won't always be there. You're not always going to be there. As a parent, your job is to love Christ fully, depend on him solely, and to teach your children to do the same. Teach your children. How do you teach children? Anybody got any secrets here? How do you teach children? Man, the, the, the problem is kids are born sort of thinking they know everything. They think they know everything. This kid wiping boogers on your couch won't take anything that you say like you got sense to talk. Your kid thinks he knows everything. He can't find his way into his pants, you know? But at the same time, if you try to tell him something, he'll roll his eyes at you like you're stupid. They think they know everything. How do you teach children? Well, I haven't learned everything, but I've learned a few things. And and let me just tell you this, y'all. And this is just real life. And I don't understand this exactly, but I'm telling you the truth. Your child will learn your bad habits naturally without any effort on your part. Like the stuff you never really meant to teach them, they'll learn like that. Lesson number one. I mean, you never have to even have to repeat this stuff. Your bad habits, the things that you didn't even realize that you did, all of a sudden your kid's doing it, they pick it up from you. And all the bad things, they will pick up naturally and with no effort on your part. Y'all are looking at me like I'm making this stuff up. Anybody testify that's true? I mean, every time. While good habits require much effort and repetition, the good stuff, you'll have to tell them over and over and over and over. The bad stuff, man, they just pick it up and go. You know, in seminary, I had, I had these friends. Uh, he was a seminary student. He's studying to be a pastor, and he, he was a great guy, great parents, wonderful parents. 
They had a little baby girl, brand new baby girl. She was adorable, you all. Just adorable little girl. Now, these were good parents. Uh, He's going to be a pastor. And so he did not use bad language. He really, really didn't. But he had one phrase that he probably shouldn't say. And it's not bad, bad, bad. Uh, But when he got really mad, he would say this phrase that had to do with a bodily function that would produce a brick. (laughs) Just leave it at that. He would say that. And he didn't use any really bad words, but it was just, you know, pertaining to, you know, resulting in a brick. And so one day he was carrying a sack of groceries with this little girl. Now, again, I'm talking little baby girl. She's never said any words. Like, she's so little, she's never said dada, mama. She's never said cup. She's never said duck. She's never said anything. Now, she was healthy and normal. She was, you know, burping and bubbling and like what kids do. But she just hadn't used any words yet. They were still teaching her words, you know. And so anyway, she hadn't said mama, daddy, duck, or nothing. But he's carrying this sack of groceries, and the, the bottom fell out of the groceries. So all the groceries hit the ground, and he said it. He said his phrase. The one that ends with the brick. He said that. And uh, it's the first time he'd ever said it in front of his little girl. First time she'd ever heard it. But the minute he said it, she said, Kappa Bick. <laughs> She's never said mama, daddy, cup, duck. But she said, Kappa Bick. Kappa Bick. She said like a full sentence, if that's a sentence. Kappa Bick. She's trying to imitate what he said, which I'm not saying. I'm just saying that's what she was trying to say. But the thing is, y'all, she learned it just like that. Like first time she heard it, she said it. She said it loudly and joyfully. And once she said it, she wouldn't stop. So she went everywhere and she'd just say, Kappa Bick to people. She'd just say, Kappa, and the little bitty girl that can't say mama, daddy, cup, or duck, or nothing, but she can say, Kappa Bick. And she said over and over and over. You know the thing about the brick? I mean, she would say that. She said it at church. And people would say, What is she saying? And the parents would lie and say, We have no idea. We don't know what she's saying <laughs> at all. Now, if you're a parent, you're sitting there thinking, that would be my kid. That would be my kid. Because this is the truth, you all. They will learn your bad habits. They will learn your bad habits, and they will learn them naturally. Like the things you never wanted them to pick up from you. They will pick up from you. I mean, you don't even have to try. They'll learn it. That little girl could learn Kappa Bic just like that, but they probably, like she probably got married and never could say please and thank you. You understand? Because the good habits require a lot of effort, a a lot of repetition. It takes forever to teach a kid to do something good. They'll learn to do something bad just like that. The the point is, you're, you're always teaching. There's not a moment in your life as a parent when you're not teaching. You've got to understand this. You're always teaching. It's not just that you wait for teachable moments. Every moment is a teaching moment. They watch you. They study you. Now, in the back of their mind thinking, I am never going to be like that old man. But at the same time, they're going to be exactly like you, sir. Exactly like you, mom. They're going to be just like you because they watch you. And you get to determine what is normal. So your child watches you. And because they watch you... They're going to probably learn to watch television in about the same way you watch television. 
they're going to learn to eat and drink in about the same way that you eat and drink. And they'll probably eat and drink the same stuff. They're going to learn to use words in the same way that you use words. They're going to learn to love their spouse in the same way they saw mom and dad loving each other. Do you see how this works? Your child is going to learn to drive just like you drive. Your child is going to learn to control anger exactly the way you control anger. Your child will learn to love God in exactly the way you love God. You understand how this works? There's not a single moment when you're not teaching. So that's why the scripture describes a very important sort of environment that you must create in your home. What does this say? Verse 6. <clears throat> You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. You, parents, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commandments. Repeat them again and again to your children. Why do you repeat them again and again? You repeat them over and over and over. Why? But because of this, the good things you want them to learn require effort. You can't just teach your child to love and follow God by pulling up out here in the circle and dropping them off at Bible school and then leaving them. It doesn't work that way. You can't just drop them off and leave them. You can't just sort of bring them to church and, and, and get them done. I had a lady pull up in the parking lot one day and say, I like to get my children done. I said, what? Excuse me? I like to get them done, you know, in the big bathtub. I said, oh. Well, we would need to talk about that. I mean, she just sort of thought that, like, she could pull up and we just do them in the big bathtub. You know, do them. Like getting them a haircut or, or whatever else you do, like their vaccinations. Just get them done. No. No, it doesn't work that way. This matters, and it's important, and because of that, this has to become your, your way of life. You understand? God's Word can't just be a book your family reads at church. This has to become your way of life together. It, it, it's an entire way of life. Now, when the Scripture talks about it, it describes it in this way. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road. See, that's the thing now. Parents and families are always on the road. Everybody's always on the road, and I get that. That's, that's the world we live in, and it's probably not going to change. Your challenge is to learn how to train your kids to love God even when you're on the road. It's not an excuse, so we're never at home, or, you know, on Sundays we play ball and we can't be at church. I'm telling you, that's covered right here. You've got to learn how to do this. Whether you're at home or on the road, you've got to still make sure that the, the way of God's Word is your way of life together. Talk about it when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie it to your hands and wear it on your forehead as reminders. Is that literal? Is that literal? Tie it to your hands like, like, like get a Bible and, you know, kind of strap it on? No, but it's just the idea that, that it's going to be everywhere. In your home, God's Word is just the air that you breathe. It's the food that you eat. God's Word is what you're talking about when you fall asleep, and it's what you start talking about when you wake up. I mean, that's how real it is. That's how central it is. God's Word, God's way, God's love. I mean, th this is your way of life. And this is what Deuteronomy is describing. Tie it on your hands and wear it on your forehead as reminders. Write it on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Understand? It's trying to describe, not, not so much the way you decorate your house. It doesn't mean you go to Hobby Lobby and just like cover the walls with Bible verses, although that wouldn't hurt. 
But more, more importantly than having the Bible verses on your walls, it's about having God's Word in your heart and making sure that it goes into the hearts of your children. This is not going to happen accidentally. It's not going to happen because you pop into church on Easter or Christmas. This has to be a way of life, an everyday way of life. You can't just pray and hope your kids catch it. No, parents, you have to be very, very involved in this. It starts first with you, and then once it's in your heart, you can begin to implant it in the hearts of your children. And this is not easy. If it were easy, everybody would already be doing it. It's not easy, but it is your job. Let me say a few things. First off, just about kids. Kids are drawn to excitement, are they not? New things and, and risk. Kids love risk. That's why when you get the new couch and every time you leave the room, you come back in and your toddler's like standing on the back of the couch. And you're like, no. You know, why does your kid do that? Because there's just something about, something about doing something dangerous. You know, and you say, hey, don't you touch that stove. It's hot. What's your kid do? You know, just to find out. You know, they, they love excitement, they love new things, they love risk, they want an adventure. And so how do you teach them, how do you teach them to love God? How do we as a church, as parents of faith, how do we teach our children to love God? I, I would say this, as, as parents in the faith, we need to blow their minds through real experiences with God. Real experiences with God. It's not just about teaching them Bible verses. Not just about Bible drills. It's giving them an adventure in serving a God who is real, who is alive, who is powerful. Kids these days don't have any experiences. They have information. We give them all. As a matter of fact, any kid with an iPhone now has in the palm of their hand all the information in the whole world. Do you understand that? Kids don't need adults for information anymore. It's all readily at hand. So it's not about information. Kids have all kinds of information. Every kid in our youth group has enough information to go out. They could start a casino right now if they wanted to. I mean, they have that information. What they don't have is experience in anything. Everything in this life, everything in this society is virtual. Virtual friends, virtual everything. I mean, guys play games in a room by themselves, and you ask them what they're doing, they say they're, they're, they're with their friends. No, you're in a room by yourself. You understand? But, but for them, that, that's being with friends, but, but they're not with friends at all. It's, it's virtual. I understand. God is real, not Virtual. And it's not just about giving our kids information. We have to capture their imaginations. We have to blow their minds. We have to help them understand a God who is real, a God who is big, a big God, and a God who invites them into an adventure of a lifetime. Now, the thing is, as parents, most of us aren't exactly on an adventure either. We're kind of in the information stage ourselves. We think of church as a place just to go and get information. You have a book on that, you have a book on, preach a sermon on that, I'll watch the podcast and we'll get information. But understand, at some point it must go past just the learning stage and into the living stage of faith. So with children, with our youth, we got to blow their minds with real experiences with God, real adventures. 
This is why we go to Haiti. This is why we go to Honduras. This is why we do everything we can to get kids out, living their faith in the world. And of course, it's risky. And you can't take the risk out. Let's don't take all the risks out. I mean, you can't just bubble wrap them in faith and expect that they'll go out and love God. Because remember, kids are drawn to excitement. I honestly think that if we work with children in this church, it must be a sin to bore a kid. Especially with the word of God. Especially when we're talking about the living God. Maker of the heavens and the earth. How can we put them in a room, give them a cup of juice, and then bore them to death? We can't do that. We can't do that. Maybe in previous generations, you know, a vanilla wafer was exciting to kids. But, but these days, we're going to have to do better. Honestly. We've got to blow their minds. We've got to give them real adventures. We've got to give them real risks. They've got to learn how big God is, and they've got to learn to love him with their lives. And as parents, and and church parents, we've got to teach them who God is. One more thing. It's a verse you know. Proverbs 22, verse 6. You know this verse. Train up a child in the way he should go. The New Living Translation says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. I don't know how you've always interpreted that verse. A lot of people kind of see it as, as this guaranteed promise, and then they get really upset when it turns out their children seem to stray. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is older, he will not depart from it. It's the old King James. I don't know how you read it, but I want you to understand, if nothing else, this proverb gives you a, an important perspective for parenting. And, and it's kind of the secret here the key phrase in this verse direct your children onto the right path and when they're older they will not leave it the key phrase is when they are older that's the perspective right there that as a parent you always have to bear in mind that you're parenting them for the future everything boils down to how they're going to be when they're older what life is going to be like for them when you're not there anymore. What kind of adult will they be? It's not just that you're raising a first grader. You're raising someone's future wife. It's not just that you're raising this little toddler, you know, this little ball-playing kid. You're raising someone's husband. Now, we want to raise children who can, who can get married, and, and marriage will last forever, but, but understand... If we don't raise our kids in such a way where they can make promises and keep them for life, then, man, they're going to be in a world of hurt when they have to be husbands and wives and parents themselves. Understand, we're not just raising them in the present moment. We're raising them for the future. Too often as parents, we only parent in the moment. We just do whatever we have to do to pacify our child in the moment. If the baby's crying, then we do whatever's necessary to make the kid stop crying. If, if, if the teenager is complaining, we give them whatever they want to make them stop complaining. We, we parent for the moment. We put them all in the van. We get everybody where we need to go. If everybody gets to practice and everybody gets supper and everybody gets back into bed, we feel like we did our job. But that's just parenting in the moment. You can have your kids in all the right sports and in all the right cheerleading teams and you can get them in all the right schools and you can do all of that right and still miss your primary job as a parent who's to raise them for the future. 
Because one day they're going to be older. And there are things that if they don't learn from you, they may never learn. for the future because one day they will be older. And you won't be there. I know, I know. You just want to think that you'll be in the great green room with a telephone and a red balloon and a comb and a brush. You think that you'll just keep your little bunny in this room forever with you. But that is not how it works. You understand? One of these days, and you don't necessarily know at this point how quick the day comes, but believe me, it comes. Man, one of these days, it's, it's good night moon, and they are flying out the window. Man, they're gone, you know? In the meantime, as a parent, you have a job to do. I'm not saying you've got to be perfect. You, you won't be perfect. But, but I'm saying you only have a little bit of time, and you have to do your job. Do your job. Pray with me.